here's a tip, but his handwriting's bad. Third son in the fifth race at Bell Meadows. Wait a minute, could be fifth son in the third. Wait, this might be next week's race. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Rappershaw. And for this episode, we are uh, finishing out another survey, not of, well, I guess technically of the actors, but uh, yeah. of of these two these two characters, these couple of guys that we met <laughs> last time. Yes. Going back to season five, episode three, The Jersey Bounce. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we chose to do this one because last episode we did season six, episode something, <laughs> uh, just a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that one we discovered was maybe a secret backdoor pilot or something along those lines. It was a backdoor pilot. So I think we discovered that these characters had occurred before and we just mm-hmm. hadn't, you know, didn't know um, that episode was in in quick summary uh was a david chase episode and was essentially a backdoor pilot for a show that would have been called the jersey bounce right that would have followed these two characters mickey and and eugene and you know had a lot of prototypical stuff for what turned into the sopranos etc etc we talked about Mm -hmm. that in that episode but then as viewers or as i don't know i was going to say as scholars which sounds like a elevated term as researchers aficionados as as people who have the internet we discovered Mm -hmm. that these were characters that had previously occurred and so here we are to look at the the genesis the origin story if you will of our couple of guys (laughs) here in the episode titled the jersey bounce yeah so um i'm not a stickler for continuity i'm gonna say that uh straight out uh but i do think it's interesting because i i don't I don't see continuity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I don't like, I don't think this is a bad, well, okay. So we're, we're going to have um, something of a recurrence of what happened with us with Gandhi, right? We watched mm-hmm. the um, last two Gandhi episodes, which may have ended or had a backdoor pilot or something like that in it. Yeah. We watched, uh, uh, we watched the Gabby and Gandhi episode first mm-hmm. was the first Yes. Gandhi episode that we watched. And that was a backdoor pilot for their adventures. Yeah. I believe. And then we went back to see, because there's like four Gandhi episodes. I don't know. We could go to the tape, but yes. Oh, we may not have finished Gandhi, actually. I don't no, know. No, we did. We did. We did. May there's only three. Okay. All right. All right. So, yeah, the, the Gandhi saga, such as it is. So there's three episodes. We saw Just Another Polish Wedding, which is the Gabby and Gandhi episode first. Mm-hmm. Then we went yeah, then we went back to see his first episode, The Hammer of Sea Block. Ah, right. And we determined that between that those two episodes, they kind of re, re, reconceived the character to be a little more yes. fun. And then we saw the last episode, Second Chance, um, which mm-hmm. was more on track with his character from the second episode, but did have some, you know, a little bit of, of yeah. edge to it from, from his character from the first episode. But... We probably talked a little bit about continuity in that sense, because it's not like these are continuous, like, again, in our modern age of TV, like, it's not like these are characters that have continuity in the sense of they're not designed from the outset to have continuous character arcs from A to Z, right? It's more like at each instance in time, we're getting kind of a different slice of what the writers at that time want to do with the character. Exactly. Yeah. But, But also there's this very dark element to the first uh the hammer of cell block c uh that that then 
sort of gets dropped for a much more comedic mm-hmm. uh, and lighthearted thing. And I like that thematically, I think happens exactly yeah. the same way here. Um, there's a particularly dark moment in, in this mm-hmm. uh, episode. The characters as they exist in this episode, they can't become the characters in the other. Right, one. right, right, right. It's they're they're two. They're like uh, it's parallel evolution. It's like here are two characters, yeah. and they're clearly all right. So this so this episode is also a David Chase episode. So mm-hmm. this episode directed by William Ward, uh, big, big list of episode director. We're still holding off on talking about him at any yeah. point because we still have so many of his <laughs> to get through. And then the credits for this one are story by Cannell. Bartlett and Chase teleplay mm-hmm. by Chase by Chase yeah the as opposed to just a couple of guys which was like 100% David Chase however yes. <laughs> this episode is certainly taking a swing at the same stuff right like yes these are yeah. two this is a set of characters they're separated in time by about a year in terms of the you know writing and, and mm-hmm. production and whatever year plus and at no point do I think David Chase ever went Hmm. People will remember those characters. So yeah. I should make sure to build on what I already did. Exactly. This is certainly a, I liked those characters. I'm going to take another swing at them. Right. We have two characters who have a certain dynamic. He changes the dynamic a bit. And I think it's interesting Slightly. how he changes it. Yeah. But specifically the idea that these two are uh, ne'er-do-wells who are attempting to get in good with the mafia. Like in some way they want to, they want a crime boss to notice them and, uh, they have big notice me senpai energy Yeah, many years before <laughs> that became a thing, yeah. at least to, yeah. you know, in pop culture. And, uh, these, these are not just like, uh, this is not just like a little background thing about the characters. Like this is, this is their primary motivation in both episodes. This is the reason why the episodes go forward. The way they, they want do. to be big. They want to be big yeah. mafia guys and they're kind of dumb and don't really have anything to offer. Yeah. Yeah. So they're both stories about them trying to come up with something to offer. Yeah. And both episodes feel like a character study of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but gone in two different directions and these two directions are not really reconcilable, but that's fine. I think the thing that makes it most difficult to parse for me, because again, mm-hmm. we're coming to this totally artificially, right? We are probably the first people in history to be like, oh, remember those guys from season six? Let's go back to season five right. and see what their <laughs> yeah. deal was, right? Um, if you're just watching the show, you might vaguely remember that these were characters that you saw a year ago. Yeah, exactly. But that's pretty much it. So maybe before getting deeper into the comparison, um, unlike the just a couple of guys episode, this episode does is is a Rockford Files episode. So yeah, yeah, exactly, yes, um, including the debut of a new character that we actually haven't seen. I think we've managed to avoid all of the Coop episodes thus far. Yeah, yeah, um, we've mentioned him, but that's worth talking about too. So as, as we say, we'll get into it. Um, before we get into the uh, brief preview montage, uh, just some content warning notes. Uh, there is an element of domestic violence in this one mm-hmm. with some graphic on screen evidence of such. Um, I guess everything else is kind of standard TV, <laughs> TV brutality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that definitely is a plot point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, FYI. Uh, yes. 
So uh, the opening montage, uh, like you said, kind of brief. Uh, well, I mean, they're all brief. It doesn't matter. Um, I, we see a almost car bike accident at the beginning, uh, which is exciting. When we watched the opening montage, I didn't realize just how out of Mad Max this car is. But when we <laughs> actually see it in the episode, it's it's just a VW that would... It's just kind of dirty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we see Rockford being a party pooper, which, you know, I like. I can't, can't get enough of that. Um, there's a, a great set of lines, are you threatening us? Am I ever? Uh, and we get kind of a hint of a car chase at the end, I, but it's kind not. Of, it's, yeah. yeah, but uh, that's that's the main thing. Full disclosure, I kind of didn't get a chance to actually watch this until much later than usual uh, in my in my day. So I was a, I was mm-hmm. eating dinner and watching and trying to not fall asleep. Not that that's hard um, with the Rockford mm-hmm. Files. It's fairly compelling, but just, you know. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, I was a little tired. <laughs> so uh, my notes for the preview montage are like, someone hit, almost hits a bike, uh, disparted termy, uh, something else happens. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> But yeah, I did perk up there because I was like, oh, Coop. Yeah. For those who have not been with us from the beginning, um, we started out our show only focusing on the first three seasons because they were what were available at the time to stream on Netflix and then Hulu, I believe. Mm -hmm. We developed a very strong relationship with all the core characters, including Beth. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Gretchen Corbett did not come back to the show after the fourth season because of um, contract contract stuff. Her contract was held by Universal. It was complicated and kind of petty and stupid. Yeah. Anyway, so in this season, we get this character, Coop, who is kind of in the Beth slot in Jim's life in terms of having some kind of legal. He's kind of a he's he's part Beth and part Gandhi. <laughs> He ends up having some two-fisted adventures at some point, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in this particular episode, it's kind of nice because you just see uh, you see Jim get a bud. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it, Jim makes a friend. It's clear almost from the get-go that they're like, "Hey, we're we're good together. <laughs> we make a good team. Why don't we?" Um, and that's fun. Anyway, so I had forgotten that this is where he appears. So mm-hmm. my ears perked up and during the preview montage. Hey, Epi, did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? I did not know that. Wait, I I did. I did. (laughs) And it is because of our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 today. In addition to our gratitude, patrons also receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. That is the podcast before the podcast. And that's where we talk about other stuff going on in our lives Mm -hmm. and games and movies and all kinds of things yeah we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode of 200 a day join mitch hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the journey of an aesthete podcast wherever you get your podcasts dale norwood wrote a book find trading freedom how trade with china defined early america wherever good books are sold it's about fast ships cheap drugs and american political economy Chuck from whatyourreading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com, Shane Liebling, his site rollforyear.party has all of your online dice rolling needs, Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com, Pumpkin Jabba Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, and Dale Church. And finally, 
we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. If you're interested in helping keeping us going, you can do so for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is interesting because this is one of those episodes that did, um, you know, I've it's been long enough since I've seen them that like I'd forgotten a lot of them. But this one I was like, oh, this is the one. Mm-hmm. I did not remember that these were the same guys that were in just a couple of guys. Yeah, yeah. But I, I the when it starts... Well, right away, we start with the Garden State license plate, so mm-hmm. we know that if we're not in New Jersey, we've got people from New Jersey. New, New Jersey has invaded. Yeah. And we start off with a, a real party scene. Um, <laughs> again, kind of similar to a couple of guys where we start off hearing kind of like rock music that turns out to be coming from mm-hmm. their car stereo. Here we start off with some kind of party rock music uh, that they are playing at their party as they are having a big shindig at this house that happens to be right next to Rocky's house. Thus creating all of the drama of the episode. Uh, rolling joints, they're cutting up coke. Um, there's like a whole operation and we see Rocky in his house reacting to the loud music. So, yes. you know, establishing our place very specifically. We get our, our drama from the preview montage pretty much immediately with the, the dirty VW almost hitting the, girl yeah. on the bike in the street. And we have this elderly neighbor across the street just being like, you maniac. Rocky comes out to check on her and she's fine, thankfully. But uh, this car did hit his mailbox, giving us mm. our real dramatic tension for the episode. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, immediately when you see the mailbox go over, first of all, it's Rocky's mailbox. That's one thing. Mm. Number two, it's a piece of municipal property, <laughs> which feels like the kind of thing that Jim, it, either, in both cases, Jim has to get involved, right? Mm-hmm. Like both of these are strong, uh, nu- attractive nuisances for, for Jim. <laughs> yes. And we get right into it with Jim coming over to see Rocky with, cops next door talking to all these kids and so mm-hmm. this this episode is a very strong entry in the just drop you right in the middle of the story um yeah kind of style jim is mad because first of all these kids are harassing right so kids like so mickey and eugene are a couple of guys we're going to kind of meet them by name in the next couple of scenes mm-hmm. but i mean i don't know th- these are people in their like 20s for the most part like they're not kids like yeah high school kids they're kids in no, comparison no, no, no. to james garner <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly but um they uh, uh rocky doesn't really want any confrontation he says that the cops are handling it uh even though they aren't really the this is all centering around rocky and jim trying to fix up the mailbox while jim is you know getting talked down i think rocky might drop in like don't go after them like you did last week or something like that right yeah we get the sense that this has been going on for a while Oh, yeah. Don't start anything like you did last Tuesday, Sonny. It ain't worth it. (laughs) There's a really good gag where we see Eugene talking to the cop. He's explaining what happened and he's lying, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole time. Yeah, yeah. He's saying, like, we're inside listening to the carpenters and something, something, something. (laughs) They go back and forth. And then later the the cop's like, how loud were these carpenters? Were they deliberately hammering loudly? (laughs) No, officer. The carpenters are a singing group. 
Real gentle and sweet. <laughs> I love the, the layers to that because he's bringing up the carpenters because he thinks this is going to make them look more mellow right, and right. angelic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and even the, that the, the cop is not hip enough to, right. to get what, what to get this reference. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Rocky says that, you know, he, he could deal with it if they were just loud and mm-hmm. just had their fast cars, but they're scaring people in the neighborhood and it's the fear that he doesn't like. And so Jim changes the subject to say that, you know, they should, they'll, they'll take a trip, they'll go fishing. Oh, but he's going to drop Rocky off to go fishing himself because he has yeah. some business that came up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but he's clearly getting Rocky out of out of the house for a while. Well, there's a good falling mailbox gag. We should point that out. Like uh, the whole time they're having this conversation, they're trying to repair Rocky's mailbox and then they walk away from it and it just falls over. <laughs> That's a good second out of three steps that we're going to get. That night, Jim is uh, recording the noise, I think, for posterity. Mm-hmm. You know, so he has some evidence, including he's taping the time beep. Like the, yes. Uh, uh, I don't what That is a name for it, right? Time and temp. Because, <laughs> I mean, like where we were, that's you, you would call and you would get the time at the tone is blah, 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 and the temperature, like uh... the local temperature. But I don't know if that's like, was that universal or just like where I was living in Ohio, but that you... um when you didn't have the internet, mm. you just had to call a little robot voice that said, well, it was a woman, but like mm-hmm. she was recorded and saying the time at the tone will be and the, the time and then and the temperature is and then give you the temperature, mm. which is, you know, really 90 percent of what you want from the Internet. So <laughs> you're good. So he has his little tape recorder up to that so that mm-hmm. they're getting the time while you're hearing the loud music coming in through the through the window. So you know it's after after noise ordinance yeah. hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because that was another thing. They're like, well, the noise, you know, there aren't any noise laws till after ten o'clock, right? So mm-hmm. we weren't doing anything wrong, right? Um, so Jim opens the door to get a better, you know, sound and sees Mickey stealing briquettes out of Rocky's <laughs> grill. I mean, they're pushing all of Jim's buttons. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the only thing they could do more is if they were like. Like scratching up his car or something. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like something real intentional. So uh, this, of course, enrages Jim. So mm-hmm. he, he goes over there. There's a big party. There's all these people. And in a incredible move, he picks up the cooler of beer and dumps it over their grill. And then makes and then tells Mickey to put, put all those briquettes back. Put them all back in the bag. <laughs> and holds his uh i think the he grabs his arm and then literally twists his arm to get him to start picking the uh <laughs> the charcoal back out of the grill which is very good eugene comes up and confronts jim so there's there's a tone here where like they're like hey you know jim's outnumbered right there's other guys right. there's one specific other guy that is like at at eugene's back and and jim says something like oh you're just waiting for me to walk away so you can all jump me huh <laughs> but uh they already had one altercation he was eugene uh broke a window at rocky's place and then it's unclear whether you know eugene's like oh you didn't want to fight me and jim's like well you were running away so i couldn't fight you <laughs> and he <laughs> doesn't like uh you know doesn't like the implication that he's a coward but uh mm-hmm. we have this great exchange towards the end where we see that jim really does have the upper hand here right like he's really the adult in the room you don't frighten Oh, yes, I do. You keep listening to that little voice way down inside you, Eugene. 
the one that keeps screaming at you. Bounce back to Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a really good portrait of like, I think as as we say often, Jim isn't shown to be intimidating by him doing anything overly intimidating. It's by the reaction right. of everyone else around him, right? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, we see that Jim has the upper hand because we see everyone else at this party being like, I don't actually want to fight this guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so Jim is, 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 you know, he he leaves the party with with charcoal in hand without getting into anything. However, the mm-hmm. next morning he comes out of Rocky's house in his bathrobe to see there's cops across the street. There's a gurney going into a uh I mean, I guess an ambulance, but um, taking a, a body away. And it turns out that it's one of the one of the goons, Mac, who is, you know, at, at uh, Eugene's back. He was beaten to death last night. And there are several witnesses. That, so there's a cop that comes up to talk to Jim. There's several witnesses that said that Jim was threatening him. And so it's not up to this guy to determine whether he this happened or not. But he is uh, going to read Jim his rights. Now, Mac is played by uh Walter Okowitz. Okowitz. Um uh, that guy. Absolutely uh that guy. Mm-hmm. Had a reoccurring character. Well, I guess that might be the newer one. In some Twin Peaks stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like, yeah. Uh but he was in Grace Under Fire, Night Court. I think I just recognize him from everything. Mm, yeah, he's a real that guy. But there's there's a character I can kind of see him as. Maybe it is just as the Twin Peaks character. Um, yeah, he's he's been in a ton I mean, of things. He was in Wizards and Warriors. Oh, oh. As Marco, is that an animated show or is that a? No, it's a it's a live action one. Yes, that is exactly where I'm remembering him from. The uh, servant Marco. He's like the, yeah, he's like a comedic sidekick in that. Uh, there you go. Good I've eye. I've never heard of this. The legendary kingdom of Camerand is ruled by good king Baldorf and queen Latinia. It looks like it's 1983, one season. During that time, there was, yeah, uh, that show, Manimal, about a man who turned into animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what else aired. There was like three shows that for one year I was like in heaven. I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is this is uh might have been might have been like Misfits of Science with that. Uh no, that came a little bit later. God, I'm trying to remember what the other show is. Anyways, that is clearly where I'm remembering him from though. It won out- outstanding costume design for a series. This is a this is a primetime Emmy award winning show. I would hazard to guess that it's not good. <laughs> I'm not gonna go out on a limb and recommend it, but um it there's definitely it was just, you know, uh, high fantasy, late night, Saturday night, I think. Mm-hmm. Could have been a Friday night. Um, television on, reg- you know, like on regular network television. Yeah, some sort of uh, Game of Thrones. Some sort of thing, mm-hmm. Ring mm-hmm. of Power. Right. Well, speaking of that, guys, um, we mm-hmm. are about to meet Jim's oh, new yes. lawyer for this episode, Ward. So his name is Wade Ward. So I think I yeah. re- refer to him as Wade or Ward alternately throughout the uh throughout the episode the character is played by sorrel book who we probably mm-hmm. all know as boss hog <laughs> among other things i did not catch that that's who it was while we were watching it um I, w- I will point out when we get to it but there's a spot 
somewhere in the third act where M, or maybe not even that far down the line, but where M's like, that's Boss Hog. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I looked it up. That was Boss Hog. I am not a huge Dukes of Hazard watcher, so I can't really speak to his characterization. But he, I know that's certainly where people would probably recognize him from. He's very, he's a very different character in this, I, I will say. Where I recognize him from is from the Columbo Bye Bye Sky High IQ murder case, where he is the <laughs> murder victim. And that is also a very ah. different characterization. That's, this guy has range. He's got range. Anyway, this is his only Rockford Files appearance, unfortunately, because he's a great character that you're like, yeah, this guy is exactly what you think he is and exactly what Mm -hmm. Rockford thinks he is. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Um, So Jim has gone to Harcourt and Lowe, the Beth's former firm. There's some dialogue establishing that she's left the firm. Yeah, yeah. So this is the lawyer that he's gotten from her old firm. He does not seem to appreciate the initial approach to the case, which is Ward uh, spelling out how good a case the DA has against Jim. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's some back and forth about whether or not Ward believes Jim is innocent. Right. And he just kind of definitely doesn't answer those questions. <laughs> like, Yeah, he thinks good. that the best thing to do is to plea bargain down to murder, too. And mm-hmm. Jim's like, I didn't murder anyone. I'm not doing a plea bargain. <laughs> then uh, Ward gets a beep, I guess. Um, there's a beeping sound. And then he reveals yeah. what looks like an entire phone on his belt, which I assume <laughs> is a, uh, this is what, 78? A 1978 style pager. Yeah. <laughs> to which he goes to make it to the payphone to call into the office to respond to this beep about a um he has like a real case right uh that's Mm -hmm. some kind of like big antitrust thing and he kind of tells jim a little bit about it and about how it's one of the i think harcourt or whatever it's like one of their firm partners it's his big case he's gonna they've been working on it for five years and he's gonna argue it before the supreme court jim does not seem confident that uh ward is going to be holding his case in the same amount of consideration as what clearly is more important to him there's a there's a feeling that 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 uh wade here just assumes that jim is as interested in this other case as he would be in his own case too mm-hmm. there's a, there's a clear disconnect between the two characters and i and i really dig how that's presented jim is told to stay home and uh that night he is indeed home reading in bed when mm-hmm. he gets a phone call and it is a call from john cooper from the corporation for legal research and I guess what has happened is he's doing some research for his case, but uh, Ward left Jim's number instead of his own number by accident, I guess. And so yeah. Coop is calling for his lawyer, but doesn't can't he ethically he can only discuss the things with the lawyer of record because Jim's like, mm-hmm. oh, just tell me what you're coming up with. He's like, I can't do that. This is a a wonderful coincidental mistake to get you know to get our principles together little yeah little thing that both tells us a little bit about how ward isn't taking this seriously enough he can't even give him the right number this guy cooper does have some kind of ethical you know structure that he's willing to keep to but jim wants to keep thing you know jim wants to know what's going on so he looks up mm-hmm. the phone number in the phone book and goes huh beverly hills <laughs> yes <laughs> uh there's this great combination going on in Coop, as we'll come to know him, uh, in that he's very uh, congenial, like he's very like friendly, but holds a firm ground uh, and 
uh, is just comes off extremely knowledgeable. And like this combination of three things reflect Rockford in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like it, it definitely even from this first phone call, you're, you immediately start thinking, even if you don't like I already know that these mm-hmm. two are going to to be buds. Um, you start thinking, huh, all right. This guy's not just a, a little incidental character here. Mm-hmm. This, something's something's going to happen. Yeah, it's a little hard to say whether because I know that he's going to be more than that, I read that into it, or whether mm-hmm. the show is giving us that even from here. Maybe it's because we see him, like, instead of just being a voice on the phone, the camera goes back and yeah. forth to, like, show him in his, like, situation where he's surrounded by books and everything. He clearly is perhaps just as exasperated with Ward as Jim would be, but also goes through the effort to not present that to Jim. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I feel Maybe I'm reading too much into his delivering, but I, I, I really do like this introduction of him. Mm-hmm. You kind of get the sense that he doesn't mind that he got the wrong, that he got the client instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't, I can't tell you what to do here. I legally can't. Right. But you probably shouldn't be using this guy as a lawyer. <laughs> well, yeah, that comes up a little later, but yeah. 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 Um, real quick. I want to, to, uh, issue a correction for something I said earlier. Oh, you know, we're going to come into the scene where we really meet Coop, but John Cooper is played by Bo Hopkins. Um, who is also a, that guy, uh, he's like, mm-hmm. I think, the proportion of movie to TV is a little higher. He's a little more of a movie guy, actually, than a lot of the right. other, you know, incidental characters, especially in the 90s. He, he's been working steadily for a long time. I know him from this. I feel like other, you know, there's other things that you might know him from. He was in American Graffiti. Um, he's in some soap operas, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, he's great. Uh, looking at the... His Rockford Files credit, I realize that we have, in fact, already talked about him a little bit because we have done Local Man Eaten by Newspaper. Right. I don't think he's in it all that much. He's not in it all that much, but I think there's like one scene that he's in or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet at the time we probably did something like, oh, we'll talk about him when we see him more. I guess, and we're not really going to see much of him now that I'm looking at this. I know. I I really thought he was in more episodes. He looms larger. But it's really this one, and then The Return of the Black Shadow, which is one that I remember and am not really looking forward to doing, because it's, in my memory, I'm sure it's a good episode, but the subject matter of that episode is pretty rough. All right, yeah. Yeah, so this might really be the main, this and that one might be the main Coop episodes. So we'll get his whole deal in this episode. So as we go through it, but yeah. we have technically seen him before. I was incorrect. Well, sometimes we make mistakes on this show. Every once in a while. Give us give us at least one mistake every 50 episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of introducing, Jim goes to this address because he's like, oh, guess mm-hmm. I'll go talk to this guy. And we immediately get the semi-expected contrast where sure the address is in Beverly Hills, but he gets out on the street and it's like a bunch of kind of like. Shares a building with a karate dojo. And you hear the, like, noises of people yeah. doing karate, which is kind of funny to me. And it's just an office in a big mixed-use building. And Jim strolls right in, um, and we hear the TV on, and we see John <laughs> Cooper laying back in his chair, kind of doing work, kind of watching TV. Uh, should leave that door unlocked. The coffee doesn't kill me, so neighborhood junkie will. Well, Beverly Hills, you have to expect that. Well, this is Beverly Hills. Of course, uh, Los Angeles across the street there, uh... The border is that white line down the middle of the road. Legal profession is very snobbish. <laughs> Tell me you didn't let out a little sob of gratitude and you saw a Beverly Hills firm in your murder case. 
which we in fact did just see Jim go, huh, Beverly Hills. Yeah. yeah. So he's not wrong. I do want to point out that the TV is playing uh, a horror movie. I think. I think Frankenstein. I don't think people these days know that like horror movies were always on TV. All like anytime you see a TV on TV, mm-hmm. it's probably playing an old Frankenstein or some Universal monster horror movie. On Columbo, they're playing old um, film noir or crime, like Jimmy yeah. Cagney, like crime movies. Good old public domain, really, is what's happening here. But like, yeah. Yeah. Or something that they'd probably own. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think this also, and you can probably speak to this more than me, but there's going to be a bit here about, well, I'll just run through this and then get back. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the important, the interesting thing to me. So, so, so Coop is a legal researcher. So he's doing all this like legwork to give jim's lawyer information to help him on the case and jim kind of lays out like oh after you do all that work it seems like the lawyer sure doesn't have a lot to do (laughs) which is uh, fair (laughs) um jim is expressing his reservations about uh you know his lawyer and saying that wade is no beth davenport wade comes in uh bitching about yet another case that he has (laughs) i i wasn't sure i wasn't rewinding to check if this is the same i think it's the same case case. i think okay yeah at least that was my takeaway. It doesn't really matter one way or the other. It's not Jim. Right. It's not Jim's. And it's something, it's a big, like, like a soda distributor mm-hmm. case. And like, oh, yeah. old Daniel Boone is, is the plaintiff <laughs> or something, which comes up again later. Um, yeah. And, and there's a, a good line where it's like, oh, go ahead. You can go ahead and tell us both the information. Then I don't have to hear it twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So there's a precedent case about someone who was not, you know, who was charged with murder, but was not, but was acquitted because it was self-defense of private property Mm -hmm. or something like that. And Wade's like, I don't know if that's a precedent you really want to cite. And then they like get sidetracked onto something else because Wade keeps getting distracted watching this horror movie on TV. Mm -hmm. And that precedent will come back to us. There's payoff later. Right. And so what I wanted to say was that this, this trope of the like, the horror movie, I think it's used here and I think it's probably been used through this time. And I think it's probably changed at a certain point. This is showing that this person is unserious because they are getting distracted right. looking at this schlocky movie, right? Like yeah, they're yeah. not a real professional because they're interested in this dumb movie. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's a trope that maybe has changed. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, well, most of the time when I see horror movies playing on television, uh, over the years, it is during the Halloween season, mm-hmm. and it's to set up some other kind of scare. Like it sets, mm. like people are sitting there with popcorn and they're watching Frankenstein, and you can hear like a woman on the TV scream, and they jump or something, and then later on something will happen, and you know they're in the horror movie themselves. But like it, it just shows up so often that people are watching horror movies late at night together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not the Saw franchise, <laughs> but, uh, right, like, you know, Invisible Man or, you know, Abbott and Costello meet the werewolf or something like that. I guess I just think that the tenor of like someone who's into horror movies has shifted from, oh, that means you're basically a child, right? To like, mm-hmm. oh, you're a cool nerd, right? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, specifically around this era, there would have been um, during the uh, Saturday evening slots, there would have been like where I grew up, there was Ned the Dead, who Mm. uh, wore 
corpse makeup or whatever, but there was like Elvira. Right. The, the great Spanguli. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if he's the great, but the Chicago area is Spanguli, who is still going strong. And so those horror hosts are always making puns. They're, it's clearly, like you said, schlocky. It's clearly mm-hmm. not meant to be. The, the whole reason why those shows exist is because they can get public domain rights to these mm-hmm old movies and just show them without having to pay anyone or anything beyond the host, I guess. And uh, it's like somebody being wrapped up in a mystery science theater. Right, right, yeah. But without the actual cast in mystery science theater involved, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But now those horror, same horror films are on the Criterion Collection. So I just... <laughs> exactly, that's that's kind of the shift that I'm, you know, kind of yeah, getting at. Yeah. But the the rest of the content of the scene is um, one issue that they're having is that they have hostile witnesses that aren't going to talk to mm-hmm. Coop about anything because he's trying to get background or whatever. Um, but they could depose them. But Wade's like, well, it's a criminal case, so we can't do that. Coop lays out a scenario whereby Rockford could mm-hmm. sue. Are a couple of guys for damages as like civil damages, like you're, you know, on our, our property or yeah. whatever. And then as part of the civil case, they can get deposed. And then at any point you can drop that suit, but then there's depositions can be entered into the criminal case because they're part of the public record, but they'd have to act fast, etc. And Wade, that's the kind of thinking that got you disbarred, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then he does walk out saying like, okay, I'll start, I'll, I'll, I'll start an action against them in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is to get us to the, the the next scene where jim has followed coop to the bar to talk to him further privately um jim says that coop seems to be a you know a smart guy um <laughs> but he's not feeling confident about his representation from wade and wants coop's advice and so coop's like well i can't tell you not to trust your lawyer but hypothetically right. you could <laughs> still shop around for a lawyer you know, at this point, but don't sell Wade short. He's really smart. He wouldn't work for this law firm if he wasn't, you know, good at what he does, etc. Jim asks him why he's defending him. He's like, I'm not defending him. Look, your preliminary is only days away, and I'll be on the thing, and I'll work with Wade and see if maybe I can keep him from derailing when we hit the junction at Centerville. If you're expecting him to derail, why are you protecting him? I'm not, not really. And I don't think he will derail. And even if he does, you could allege that Wade was incompetent counsel. It even places some sympathy on your side. Qualified witnesses would be forced to testify to that. Would you? Would you testify that he was watching horror movies while we had our meeting? If it came to that. (laughs) Jim asks why he got disbarred. He says, well, it's a long story. And Jim says, well, whatever it was, were you right? And Coop says yeah. that you'll notice that the law doesn't care about right and wrong, just legal and illegal. And I think that's, you know, generating an understanding here, right, between Jim yeah, and Coop yeah. about kind of the kind of person that they that they each are. So we never get any details about uh, whatever the this thing that got him disbarred was, which I think is fine. Yeah, that's fine. But creating the the the, the bond here between like. Men who will do what is right, even if it's not the legal thing, or men who won't do what's wrong, even though they are obligated to by a legal system. Yeah, uh, that's kind of the the point here. They they, they share a sense of humor, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, Coop orders him Daniel Boone uh, because that's the case that Wade's more obsessed with. 
And then uh, there's this discussion about the Rockford's like, is that why you have your degree hanging upside down? First of all, Rockford clocks that right away. And then Coop is like, yeah, yeah, no, that's my own little inside joke. Um, yeah, uh, I really dig it. To the point where I'm sad now, knowing that there's only really one more episode for us to watch the gym. <laughs> I know. I know, yeah. I was like, when we got done with this one, I was like, oh, I can't wait. We're gonna, we got a bunch of Koopa ahead of us, mm. but no, not yeah. much. We go back to the courthouse uh, where they're going to do this deposition. Um, we have a couple of guys talking in the corridor. And so we overhear them and we see Jim and Coop overhear them, which is important later. But Eugene mm-hmm. is talking about being just a real, a real piece of work. Real deadbeat. There's this girl that keeps on calling him and telling him that he's the father of her baby, but he's not going to admit it because he doesn't want to pay child support. And he has this line where it's like, and she's like, you're the one who pushed me down. And he's like, I'm not going to be responsible. Real, like he's a real, real creep. And, uh, mm-hmm. and he's, he's not bragging, but he's just telling Mickey a story. Yeah. The, the context here is this isn't my problem. Right. We cut to the active deposition in Wade's office where they're uh, asking Eugene about this fight that he says he got in with Rockford. Um, but then he gets a call about his real case and he has to leave and he tells Coop to keep him warm. <laughs> so so <now> Coop's <laughs> asking the questions. Um, so this whole thing about the, the like fight in the window and whatever, I got a little lost in the details, but the thrust of this is that previous to when this, the dead guy got killed, mm-hmm. Jim and Eugene had had some kind of altercation based around they broke one of Rocky's windows. Right. Eugene says that Jim hit him. And Jim's like, I never had got the chance to hit you because he ran away, I think. Well, I think what falls out is that Eugene started to run away and Jim clocked him and got him in the back of the head. Uh, but what what's important is that Eugene didn't tell the cops that happened or wouldn't admit that that happened so that the cops would think that the injuries on Jim's hand are from beating uh, Mac. Right, because, yeah, because Jim has, like, a sprained thumb or something, but, like, it's on yeah. his right hand, and Eugene has a lump on the right side of his face, so it couldn't have been from punching him, like, squared up, right? He he says that the um, goose egg is in the, like, he pointed to the back of his head. Yeah. He would have been hit from behind. Yeah, and there's just something about this, because they tricked him into admitting that Jim hit him. Right. And his whole thing, he hasn't wanted to admit it because it makes him seem like a coward is yeah, yeah. from the very beginning. Like, cause he wouldn't have run away. He would have fought right. Like a real yeah. man or whatever. But yeah, but what's important for Jim's case is that it establishes that he did sprain his thumb prior to when he was supposed to have beaten this guy to death with his fists. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a lot of detail about it that I kind of glossed over, but I'm not sure if that's all hundred percent. It doesn't matter too much. I think we got the takeaways, but yeah. Um, yeah. We then go to the scariest scene of the episode. Rocky is coming home from this fishing yes. trip or whatever. <laughs> My notes are filled with exclamation points <laughs> and oh no Rocky throughout this. We get him. He comes out of his truck with groceries, which we know is already a, mm-hmm. a sign of, of impending doom. Yeah, you're going to get assailed if you have groceries in your hands mm-hmm. in a Rockford files. Ominous music cuts in as he goes from the truck to his front door. Yellow. It didn't 
we actually don't see this does not escalate that far it could have escalated mm-hmm. much farther right but we hear you know some of these the probably mickey and, and eugene and these other guys singing a mocking song at him and then like calling him a chicken and stuff and because he's like you guys yeah. leave me alone and then someone i think they throw a rock at him something hits him in the forehead yeah yeah he stumbles inside and then when he turns around he has like blood trickling out of a cut on his forehead uh and that's bad and then we hear breaking glass and i'm like oh no and then we cut to the next scene so (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah now that we're going over it i'm trying to remember yeah because it was it's it is full of absolute menace i don't know if any of it pans out so rocky is fine and Mm -hmm. it doesn't come up as a thing later i think it's it's a bit of a head fake i think storytelling wise to like raise the stakes a little bit yeah and they clearly could have been built on later if like jim sees that rocky has a goose egg or something and gets all mad or whatever but that's just not how the story goes there is a little something in this story that this may exist for which is uh not a plot thing but a tone thing right Mm -hmm. because what we have the the couple of guys are funny like, they're not a ball of laughs to watch, but, like, you're like, these are idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had a scene where Jim and Coop outsmart them on on the record, and right. that, that's all great. And so what this scene might exist for is to just remind us that they're also a threat, right? Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're not just idiots. They're idiots that can harm Rocky. They're idiots that, that can – there's still a problem. There's still something to worry about. You don't need to be smart to be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's followed up, actually, textually <laughs> later in the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it stood out as like, oh, this is a weird moment. Like, it totally fits. It works with the episode. Just mm-hmm. going back over it, just looking at my notes, I'm like, oh, this is a real, like, ominous note that is not followed up with plot-wise, but does work in terms of giving us an up-and-down tone shift of the yeah. episode so that yeah. it isn't a lighthearted kind of rompy episode. It is a bit of a Jim's not on the clock, but it does feel like right. a, there, there are some stakes that feel like they're escalating a little bit as we go on. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths and Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the internet, because as it turns out, we do do other things than talk about the Rockford files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. (laughs) You can also find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff from games to zines to podcasts is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. (laughs) (laughs) Now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a Day. 
they want to get some more background on this guy, Mac. This has come up a couple times. So they go mm-hmm. to talk to the woman that he was living with, his his girlfriend, Dawn. And it's, it's like two hours away or something. So it's like a whole day to like go have this conversation. Um, they see a car with a familiar license plate, Nods, N-O-D-Z. <laughs> and this not is... Nudes. Not nudes. Not nudes. <laughs> and this is a great like... All right, how are we going to get this into our story? Well, Jim, being a private (laughs) investigator and knowledgeable of the criminal element, oh, he knows that license plate. Mm -hmm. That's Artie Nodzak. He's kind of a big, big shot, vice king kind of guy. Uh, Strip clubs and runs the racetrack and stuff like that. So the implication is, is, you know, he's mobbed up, right? Mm -hmm. They pull up, you know, from this house or this whatever apartment building, see this car leave. And they put two and two together. Um, one, well, not put two and two together. They ask, but the the woman Don, her name is also not Zach. Oh, wasn't that your husband we just saw leaving? The reason I'm asking is, is we were both admiring that handsome car. Oh, that that was my brother Artie. He'll be glad to hear it. That car's his whole personality. <laughs> If we were still doing, you know, lessons to to learn from the show for your own stuff, (laughs) I think being like, all right, we're halfway through this episode. We have to introduce a whole new character who's kind of a big deal. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, just have all your characters know who this person is. Exactly. Yeah, it works. And and then lampshade the fact that they recognize his car by saying his car is his whole personality. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, in line with our content warning, uh, it, it is important to this scene and to the plot in general uh, that Dawn uh, is has clearly been worked over, right? Yes. She's got bruises all over her face. and Yeah, she has bruises all over her face, black eyes, like the whole nine. Yeah. We do have an establishing shot of her with Mac in a picture, mm-hmm. right? And then through this conversation, um, yeah, so she's... She's sister to Artie Nodzak. She was dating Mac. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a bit of a gag. I don't know. This is an interesting scene. It's like, it's kind of a gag, but it's not really at her expense. I don't, yeah. You're talking about like the whale. The whale thing. thing. Or, yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, well, well, her thing is like, he's, he was a gentle guy. I don't know why anyone would kill him. And they're like, so how did you get those bruises? And she yeah. says that she fell down the stairs going to get laundry. And they're like, did he beat you up? And she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot here that she says, but yeah. basically she's like, he was really a gentle guy. He cared about the whales. He had a, an album of whale song that he would get ripped and, and listen to and cry. Um, mm-hmm. He was a plumber by trade, but he always talked about selling lyrics for songs to a band. So really he was a frustrated poet and an ecologist. That's why he would get mad. <laughs> it's cause like, he you know yeah. he had all these good things he wanted to do that he couldn't do so when he got mad he would beat me up it was it, yeah she's very much making excuses for him uh like um i don't yeah i don't think it's actually meant to be a gag so much as just um uh well i think it actually plays a little bit into a gag that we'll see in just a moment but mm-hmm. um but I think it's just like just kind of the way things are where people yeah. will make excuses for it has a, a realism ring to it where it's like, yeah, she's not in denial, but she is mm-hmm. trying to put the best face on a situation that is clearly not good for her because like he's also yeah. dead now. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
he did these bad things, but she also is grieving. And yeah, it, it, it's not like a gag, like funny, haha, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit of absurdity, I guess is what I'm, the word I'm looking for. There's a bit of an absurd, yeah. a bit of an absurdity to the, like, let me tell you about all these wonderful things about this guy in the face of this mm-hmm. very visible violence that he would yeah. do. But the point here is that is when they ask her if her brother knew that he beat her up. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think she says, yes, like it yeah. wasn't a secret or something like that. Or maybe she doesn't say anything, but they kind of look at her and just go like, OK, like mm-hmm. it appears to be known that, yes. So she has this brother who is a underworld mobbed up crime lord. And her, mm-hmm. this guy, who's probably no great shakes, you know, himself, yeah. knows that there's this guy who's beating up his sister. Right. So that's the point that we're trying to get out of this situation. Um, we end with, she, she says that she liked them to leave. She needs to have her, she's leading her women's meeting. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it'll really help. There's some good dialogue about that. And then as they leave, they pass two women coming in for this meeting. One of whom is very pregnant. This is important later. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, I hope Don likes this album. Like who needs heavy metal when they're experiencing grief? <laughs> this guy. I thought of you, Epi. I thought of you. Yeah. So I think that this is the the gag uh, that uh, that she's probably asked for a heavy metal album or or that she's into heavy metal where whereas mac mm-hmm. is into whale songs <laughs> right she's right. into heavy metal right like mm-hmm. that's the uh now i did spend some time uh, trying to research what album this might be we can't see it mm-hmm. there's no clue it, it that very much frustrated me <laughs> the episode came out on october 6th of 1978 so uh if we're going by that which we shouldn't but um just a week before that black sabbath released uh never say die i believe so it could be that album it absolutely could not be that album because they clearly recorded it before (laughs) uh so i went back a little further uh and was just kind of going through like what metal albums came out in early 78 late 77 Obviously, we can argue about what is and isn't metal on a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it could be Long Live Rock and Roll, which is a Rainbow album, which, mm-hmm. again, like there's there's some good stuff that came out around that time. That, that But I don't know. There's no way to tell. On uh, Wikipedia, they have a lot of like uh, Thin Lizzy, Foreigner, Rush, which, I mean, if you want to call them metal. Yeah. Van Halen yeah. self-titled. <laughs> I mean, sure, sure. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. Okay. But again, I'm not here to get into any genre uh, arguments. Okay. What about so September 1st, Molly Hatchet self-titled? Okay, that could be. That could very well be. But apparently, also in September were the self-titled Kiss albums. Oh, see, that's more. I feel more likely. So I'm going to go, here's my read, is that these are probably not heavy metal aficionados who are coming to the women's meeting, just based on right. presentation, mm-hmm. right, which is all we have to go on. I could clue, I could see someone picking up a Boston album and saying, here's a heavy metal album for my friend. <laughs> and Don't Look Back was an August release. Yeah, that's that's what I'm a little worried about. See, you're worried about that, but I think if someone is grieving, giving them a Boston that's- album is a great gift. <laughs> Because Boston rules. If yeah, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that like uh, calling it heavy metal might might have been. But yeah, I think you're right. Uh, these are not 
The year before, though, a year before, Meatloaf released Bad Out of Hell. Okay. So that's a possibility. These seem like Meatloaf fans to me. <laughs> I'm, I would not disagree with that. Yeah. Anyways, here's the thing. Like, I, I clearly have my own taste in metal from that era that is not clearly delineated. Right, uh, right. In that, like, like absolutely Sabbath, absolutely, you know, uh, like Rainbow, which is, mu- like, the album's called Long Live Rock and Roll. It's a much mm-hmm. more rock and roll-y sounding metal. Uh, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, again, uh, people may not, uh, I think, I think I saw that Venom formed in that year. So Mm. that's, that's a nice metal band. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, yeah, this is around the time when we get into some, like the beginning of thrash and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a little less glam and a little. Yeah. And my tastes don't run glam. Uh, and so I like when, when somebody's like, I mean, there's some Judas Priest in here, Yeah, which would be nice. I think. In 77, Motorhead's self-titled album came out. Like, that would have been lovely. But I don't think it's Motorhead either. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is really the definition of neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us in Epi's Heavy Metal Corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah this has to do with Rocky's... Uh, he can even abide the music. Right. Sometimes... He, he even finds his own toes tapping. Right. <laughs> I like to think that that Rocky would would tap his toes to some Motorhead. I feel like that's yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not outside the realm. All right. So the rest of this scene is is Jim and Coop laying out the theory that we already went over. Mm-hmm. Um, Coop says that he'll tell Wade about it, but they he says like strategically they should save it for the trial so that mm-hmm. the defense doesn't have a chance to work around it and jim says i don't want it to go to trial let's bring it up in the preliminary which makes sense yeah so we go to the courtroom where they're having the preliminary hearing um we have the deposition to show that james jim's hand was already hurt and the da is like that is as may be but that doesn't preclude any use of instruments such as brass knuckles or chains right <laughs> Yes. And Wade goes over to Coop and goes, Coop, what do I do? That's all I had. (laughs) (laughs) So this whole time, Coop has been kind of has been running interference, has been saying, like, look, just trust Wade. He's a good lawyer. He'll he'll be there on the day. Right. And now here's the day. And and he is not there. He does not have. Absolutely. He has nothing. Bet you're in trouble. Recall Canigliero and Long and go after their testimony. How? I mean, nobody's denying the threats were made. Get a pail and start bailing. The party, Wade, the party. Noise, dope, confusion. Was all that going on? And Jim just puts his head <laughs> in his hands. Uh, Wade does grill Mickey about being on narcotics. And uh, there's some great just like kind of character language here. Yeah. Um, but he did have one arrest for possession in New Jersey. So mm-hmm. that kind of undercuts his claim the that he would yeah. never do anything like that. But then he's like, we were only drinking beer. You know, we split a case of beer. He's like, oh, so you had a half of a case of beer, which I remember from my, <laughs> uh, 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 from my fraternity days was at least 12 bottles. <laughs> <laughs> There's some funny, like Wade is very funny. Like this character is a very like humorous yeah, yeah. character. Um, they're celebrating Eugene's extension of unemployment benefits from the garden state, which I think is very funny mm-hmm. too. <laughs> The DA calls Rocky to confirm that when their window was broken, Jim did, did use the phrase, I'd like to kill those guys. And mm-hmm. Rocky, under oath, can't say he didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Rocky's honest to a fault. Um, Wade wants to bring, brings the thing with Nodzak to the judge's attention. And we see that 
Nanzek had a goon that was with him, and that goon is in the courtroom. And so we see everyone see the goon mm-hmm. paying attention. Yeah. And then Wade wants to bring in his point of precedent, which is this case that Coop had been saying, hey, I don't know if that's the great precedent that you want it to be. It's Utah versus <laughs> Liggett or whatever. When he mentions it, Coop puts his head in his hands because <laughs> he knows how this is going to go. Yeah. This man was acquitted for because of assault on his property or whatever. And the judge is like, wasn't that a case about an attack by Comanche like raiders? <laughs> they like burned the barn and an arm was severed. Yes. And he tells Ward to give him a break. Like, clearly, this is not the same kind of case. Like, this precedent does yeah. not have any bearing on this case. Uh, and he finds sufficient evidence for subsequent proceedings. And then we go directly outside the courtroom to Coop apologizing and saying, Wade isn't the same man he was five years ago. <laughs> but we are getting more into Jim's wheelhouse here where he says they have a bigger problem. Nodzak's goon was in the courtroom. Um, and Coop noticed that Mickey and Eugene were trying to get that guy's attention. So they're like, all right, what's going on here? So they start making connections for us. So we see, you know, where things are going to go next. Did Nodzak hire them to knock off Mac for beating up on his sister. Mm-hmm. And then they're dumb enough to leave his body in front of their house. And they're like, well, they are pretty dumb. <laughs> That's not totally out of, out of, you know, out of bounds. Jim is looking for more connections. He remembers Eugene talking about the girl that he got pregnant. And when they went to see Don, one of the women was pregnant. Maybe there's a connection there. Uh, Coop reminds him that a lot of people are pregnant on any given day. But uh, Jim's like, I'm grasping at straws here. I just want to talk to her. Maybe there's a connection. And Coop's saying that the only thing that he thinks feels right is that Nodzak probably was involved. But he's like way too smart to hire those guys. And we have a good joke in the cut where we see Eugene and Mickey waiting at a Japanese restaurant (laughs) to meet Nodzak. Um, This might be my favorite scene in the episode, actually. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. This scene has the most connection to the characters as we see them in just a couple of guys right Mm -hmm. they act like they're in a movie um Mm -hmm. they are clearly uncomfortable in this place where they think they need to be acting in a different way like they think that this setting is one in which they need to be comfortable because the kinds of guys that they want to be would be comfortable in this setting right that's completely incidental to the content of why they're there Right. Like it does not matter. But like they are clearly embarrassing to Nodzak. So they see him come in and they're like, oh, Mr. Nodzak over here. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like <laughs> they're just not behaving appropriately. They have the like over articulated language of like, we are so pleased that you have chosen to come here today to meet us in yeah, this place, yeah. this restaurant. Right. Like that kind of stuff. Invites Mr. Nodzak to join them in a drink. They're having amaretto and cream at this <laughs> sushi restaurant. But uh, not Nodzak doesn't want to, you know, wants to cut right to the chase. You were saying that, yeah, they're over exaggerating. Uh, oh, God, I can never remember which one's which anymore. Uh Mickey, I think Mickey's the more dim-witted one, right? Like it, yeah, in this, in this one, in this episode, yeah, yeah. And so Mickey is like does this exaggerated language thing, and uh, Eugene is like embarrassed by that, and then does it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So what we learn here is that Mickey and Eugene, on their own, decided to knock off Mac because they thought yeah. it would be a favor to not Zach. 
I don't know why this is a surprise to me, but it is a surprise to me in this moment. <laughs> and again, this falls in with, with the characters that we know them from the other episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Maybe more maniacal, but the motivation is that, like, that's that's the second swing at the character, right? Like, this is one swing yeah. at it. And this same kind of person is the other episode is taking a slightly different tack on this mm-hmm. kind of person. It's sort of our way you're saying, hey, he's a couple of guys ain't afraid to go all the way. He's a couple of guys got their sunroofs down, got their diamonds in the back. A couple of guys you can entrust with your whole thing. You idiots. Excuse me? Who asked you? Who asked you to croak that zero, huh? Nobody. We've done it on our own. But we heard he was gonging on your sister, and that ain't right. Ah, so in other words, you did me a favor. And now I'm gonna repay you by giving you a job or a piece of my action. <laughs> no, no. Not a piece of the action, not right away. But we did Hey, the- what do you think? This is a movie. And I'm some guy who's got cotton stuffed in his cheeks and goes around mumbling and passing out favors. Do you have any concept of what you guys did? The understanding of the underworld or whatever, the mob, from these two idiots just crashing yeah. upon the, the the rock of you know reality such as it is of the actual you know boss is primo like this this feels like this is very rockford to me like this yeah. whole yeah. crash of what someone thinks it might be with like how how the show is architecting no this is how it really works yeah uh it's great yeah it's great now zach is he's played by luke andreas who we have seen as the the buddy Sill from the man who saw the alligators, the oh, Anthony boy's partner. Yes. So, yeah. So he was Sill in to protect and serve and in the man yeah. who saw the alligators. And there's actually a rap on him because he was also one of the mobsters in the queen of Peru. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think he's worn completely different lapel lengths in all of these episodes. So really <laughs> recognize him. Yeah. That'll throw you off. Yeah. But I feel like this, in terms of incidental mob boss characters, I feel like Nodzak is, is fitting into that echelon of like the urban horticulturalist. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I forget who plays him, but like the, the like really old mobster guy. Um, Oh, uh, fish um abe vigoda yeah abe vigoda fish <laughs> yeah, yeah the guy that abe vigoda plays <laughs> like these like yeah. not really the subject of the of the episode but just like memorable because this guy's just yeah. so straightforward he's just like it's like no this isn't how this works now you've messed it up for me because now i look really good for this murder if it doesn't go to rockford and they even say that it's an accident that the cops are putting this on Rockford. They didn't even plan that. Right. It just happened, and now they're just going with it. So they better ho- hope that Rockford takes the rap, because if he doesn't, then Nodzak, he's like, I don't care how bad it looks for me. I will turn you into the police. Yeah. And I'm just like, of course you will. Like, obviously. <laughs> like, it's so good. This is a tall, ice-cold glass of water compared to, like, the other episode where mm-hmm. uh, they were... It wasn't that anyone was suffering them, mm-hmm. but they were suffering them. They're like, oh, they're idiots, but they're doing their thing or whatever. Where this one's like, he just very much is like, no, they they ruined their lives in this episode. Mm-hmm. They've already done that. He's just the one telling them that it's happened. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Like they've already messed up 
completely. And they're living in this sort of fictional reality they built up wherein they haven't. And he's just saying, no, that that's not true. Mm-hmm. None of that's true. And uh, it's, yeah, it's great. It, it, it's, it's wonderful. You can watch them get deflated. Mm-hmm. After he leaves, I, I love how the two of them are reacting after he leaves because they're both retreating internally. Mm-hmm. We killed a guy for nothing. I ain't never gonna get ahead. Well, what you gotta do? That ain't happening for me and Chase. Yeah, come out here. I'm still in the toilet looking out. I see it happening for the guys. Well, what you gotta do? Should have been someone we hated. Mickey is like, we killed a guy for nothing. And uh, uh, Eugene's like, all of that and I get nothing from it right right yeah it's it's dawning on them how bad it is right yeah they're they're regretting what they did but for totally different reasons like yeah he's like yeah. we shouldn't have done that because not only are we not getting anything out of it but like that was just a bad call like it's just a yeah. dumb thing to yeah. do um and eugene's like we shouldn't have we shouldn't have done that because it didn't get us anywhere yeah or get me yeah. anywhere specifically yeah exactly it's great it's great I, I enjoy this episode and I like this characterization of these two characters mm-hmm. probably more than I did the other characterization. Uh, and I think it hinges on the fact that these are, this is the beginning of the end here for them. Yeah. Yeah. If there was a future for these characters, I don't think this runs as, uh, this isn't prelude. This is conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is, yeah. I just wanted to, in case I hadn't emphasized it, the narrative import or impact of Nodzak saying, if this breaks bad for me, I'll just mm-hmm. take you to the cops. Yeah. Like, for some reason, that just feels so refreshing. Not refreshing, like, not that I'm, like, aching for realism in my in my detective right, show. Right. But, like, there's something about it that, that it stands out to me so starkly because it's breaking the this kind of unspoken assumption that like no matter what the mob is always going to yeah avoid the cops right and that's kind of this convention and it's kind of this like ultimate call for rockford to be like okay well you're going to threaten me well i'm going to take this threat and i'm going to go to the cops right and that mm-hmm. sometimes that escalates the situation sometimes it diffuses the situation it depends on the context but it's always me going to the cops is going to be negative for you because you are part of the underworld and in this yeah. situation the guy's like i didn't do anything you guys committed a crime even though mm-hmm. I'm a mob guy or whatever, that doesn't mean I can't turn you in for the crime you clearly committed. <laughs> like, sure, it might look bad for my reputation, but like, it's mm-hmm. worth it because you guys are annoying. Any threats to kill them, but like, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, it's like, but that's not the first threat. That's the second threat. It's also, I think, to the, a clear. Um, I wanted to say like class, not class. They're not part of his world right right yeah yeah, and that this is him saying that like because it's absolutely true that like in the this fictional universe here if they were part of his world he probably wouldn't go to the cops Mm -hmm. right like if this were some other mob person or like they already worked for him or something and like yeah yeah, sure he might kill them but he wouldn't take them to the cops yeah but they're they're making assumptions about things that like 
he just has it extended to them. And so mm-hmm. you're not one of us. So you have to take responsibility. You, you are subject to the, the police, like right, all the people right. who aren't one of us. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, we go to Coop and Jim talking to the pregnant lady, Celeste. Mm-hmm. She's explaining that Eugene's the father, but because she needs financial help, he's not going to admit it. Um, and the connection that Jim is looking for that turns out to be correct is that so Celeste was in this woman's group with Don. So she knew that Mac had been beating up on Don and she told Eugene about it. And so that's the mm-hmm. connection, how Eugene would have known about the whole situation. And then Jim and Coop fill in, oh, they must have gone off by themselves. <laughs> they fill in for us because it's the story that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what actually happened. They decided to do this to get in good with her, her, her brother. Um, yeah, Jim's like, I can't believe that they killed someone on spec. Yes, it's it's a great line. Yeah, and Coop has a good line that it's Abbott and Costello meet the Godfather. So right again, yes. just all the lampshades, <laughs> but it's good. It's like it, it wraps it all up pretty nicely. Yeah. Um, but until they have any evidence, it's all just guesswork. So in order to gather evidence, uh, <laughs> they give Celeste some marching orders. I suppose she calls Eugene. Jim and Coop are listening in to tell him that he's in danger. Don told her what happened and that Artie's really mad mm-hmm. and she's going to tell him more about it. If he agrees to help with the baby, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like, okay, fine. I'll give you some money. Now what's going on. So as chance would have it, this tracks with what he knows. Right. But he's saying Artie's getting madder mm-hmm. and madder. He's going to come to get you and Mickey tomorrow. He said, he's going to do awful things to your hands and your face and then turn you over <laughs> to the police. That feels uh, not like the actress improv it, but that the character improv mm-hmm. that particular line. Because I do feel like Coop and Jim react to that line a little bit like, <laughs> okay, all right, no, that works. Wait, wait, Celeste, wait, listen, you, 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 you got to get word to, to, to this Dawn to tell her brother. See, I got a plan. I've been thinking. It's foolproof. You got to tell her. Plan? What are you talking about? I'm going to kill Mickey. What? Then, then you really did kill Mac? Yeah, 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 me and Mickey. But the important thing is, you gotta tell Artie Nodzak. She had been told that, but I think she kind of was like, yeah. it hadn't sunk in. And then it was like, oh, I'm gonna kill Mickey. She's like, oh, you really did kill Mac. You're like, yeah, 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 but that's not important <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, I have a solution now. Don't worry about it. <laughs> There's a little bit of drama here because he's on the phone saying, I'm, I'm going to kill Mickey. And then Mickey comes in and he's pretending like he's on <laughs> yes. the phone with his mom from Jersey. And then Mickey goes back out. And so his plan is that he's going to put the body near Rockford's trailer, maybe even plant mm-hmm. the weapon in his car. And that's the answer to everyone's problem. You know, Rockford goes to jail. Like, it's just another body in the feud. Rockford goes to jail. Artie knows he can trust me right like that's kind of like yeah 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 he thinks he's gonna come out on top again yeah um and so then he hangs up and then tells mickey that they should go down to the go down to the ocean he knows a guy who has some good dust and then they can hit the bar maybe pick up a few skirts and mickey's like all right yeah let's go best idea you've had so we go to paradise cove where jim and coop are waiting (laughs) in uh in the firebird sure enough mickey and eugene arrive Eugene says he met someone who has great dust who lives in one of the trailers over here. So he's getting Mickey over <laughs> towards Jim's trailer. He pulls out a straight razor, which is like, yeah, yikes. And we have a bit, a little bit of a drama where he pulls it out and then 
Mickey turns around and he turns around real fast and holds it so that Mickey can't see it. Like, oh, I'm just, my zipper's stuck. Oh, these damn zippers. <laughs> you go on ahead of me while I try to figure out my zipper. All right. But then as he comes up behind Mickey with the straight razor, that's when Jim turns on his lights and shoots forward in the Firebird to cut him off. Uh, everyone goes running. Coop grabs Mickey and Eugene runs away from Jim and then turns to confront him with their straight razor. And we have this confrontation where Jim pulls out his oh, belt, yeah. defensive weapon of the of the belt technology. <laughs> this is, I mean, I really enjoyed this because it is like watching Jim chase him and think, well, this guy's got a straight razor. What's Jim going to do? Uh, but then like the belt like is great because it's it's a it gives him some reach. It gives him some makes him slightly more threatening when it comes to something like the 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 straight razor there. Uh, but this leads up to one of my favorite resolutions. Oh, it's so good. All right. First of all, this is a man who's been in a knife fight without a knife before. That's it's, yeah, it's Jim exactly. Rockford. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, he after a couple, you know, little tense moments, he actually knocks the razor out of Eugene's hand. And so Eugene yeah. turns around to run. And there's like the Paradise Cove, like security guy. Mm-hmm. Jim yells at him to cut him off. So he's on the He's on the pier and he's running and then he sees he's cut off on both ends. So he, he looks one way and looks the other way and then grabs the rail and he leaps over the rail. And then the camera cuts <laughs> to a signboard that has the high and low tide written on it. And as we cut to that, we do it and we see yeah. low tides like 1030 something. And then we cut to Jim and he looks at his watch. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. And he just and we, goes out. He's just like, hey, Coop, I got mine. <laughs> it was just. And we good. look over the side and we see the see, see Eugene sprawled on the sand right at the edge of the water. Is this? Yes. Yeah. Ties <laughs> all the way out. It's very good. It's one of the it's a mm-hmm. standout, a standout resolution. And uh, yeah, so presumably the justice is served. Jim gets off the hook. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we go to our final scene, where there's a moving truck with people taking stuff out of the house that's next to Rocky's house. So yeah. one presumes that they're no longer occupying it with all their partying ways. Jim and Rocky are putting the mailbox mailbox back in nice, nice and proper real. Like mm-hmm. they put it on a new like steel post and they're sinking it in real deep, like how it's supposed to be. Coop is there asking Jim, you know, okay, it makes sense that you're not going to pay Wade because he didn't really do anything for you. But, you know, I'm an independent <laughs> contractor. I'm a third party. You know, how am I going to get paid? And Jim says, like, well, you have a really good, you know, head on your shoulders. I was thinking maybe we could work out some kind of uh, informal retainer to get legal advice going forward. Mm-hmm. And in a very Rockfordy moment, Coop says, well, how about let's pay the bill first? Then let's talk about, it, <laughs> you know, going forward. And Jim says, let's go in the house and have a beer and we'll talk it all over. So they all go in the house. And after they close the door, we zoom out and we see the moving truck backing up, (laughs) backing directly into the mailbox, knocking it all the way over and then pulling away. And we freeze frame on the knocked over mailbox. (laughs) End of episode. Completing, completing its destiny. So, um, yeah, I, I really... I mean, obviously, I like the reflection back at Jim uh, at the very end where mm-hmm. Coop is negotiating with Jim the same way that Jim has to negotiate with his clients. I love the the third beat with the mailbox. Thinking about this episode, I very much enjoyed this episode. I like this take on these characters, but it, it is it's hard to look at like how this ends and think that these could possibly be the characters with the same name 
and roughly the same relationship to mm-hmm. each other, running the same pie in the sky scam to try and get into the mafia that's in a couple of guys. Yeah. When they're caught in attempted murder and murder, and one of them was trying to kill the other, just like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a whole bunch here that's like okay, this didn't. It's been a year. You probably don't remember these guys. So here we go. We're going to take another run at them. Definitely. If if they were to be taken as the same characters, mm-hmm. it actually works without changing anything about the episodes. The direction that we watched the episodes makes more sense than the direction that they actually were aired in. Right. Right. <laughs> like, because also in, in just a couple of guys, Jim doesn't know who they are. Right. He's never met them before. Yeah. Right. And then they're, they're kind of like buddies by the end, even though he's kind of like these guys. Yeah. Uh, and they even say like we'll send you a package out you know maybe you'll get a package on your door from jersey or whatever at the end if that's the yeah. end of their first encounter and then their second encounter maybe there's one line where it's right. like, i can't believe how badly these guys have turned out or something you know like right yeah yeah because it's like that actually sets up fairly nicely the idea that they need to leave jersey for some reason so they go to la and end up renting a house next to someone named rockford Right. Maybe they got it wrong because they (laughs) thought it was Jim and it was Rocky or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, things have gone bad. They've gotten worse. Like they are Mm -hmm. darker people. They're a little dumber even. And their whole saga ends up with like this, you know, almost blood opera turning on each other thing at the end. There's a thing about the two, the relationship between the two of them, where in this one, Mickey is just, just thick. Yeah. He's not seeing what Eugene is was doing. And in the second one, Mickey actually feels smarter than Eugene, mm-hmm. but is still falling for Eugene's things. Like he, he's a little bit skeptical of Eugene's mm-hmm. stuff. And then, and that makes him feel a little smarter. He has an extra dimension in that one where he's kind of the one who's, who's they're, they're kind of equally dumb, but like Mickey's the one mm-hmm. who's quick on his feet in the moment. And Eugene's the one who has big ideas right yeah exactly and then in this one it's like neither of them are quick on their feet in the moment (laughs) and eugene is the only one who has ideas yeah so the 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 couple of guys versus the jersey bouncers Mm -hmm. uh the couple of guys are i think better primed to be a series right like they're they're better primed to have more stories told about them whereas these the the jersey bounce guys are very this is a this is a good story about them uh, and this is all you need to know about them. And this is the end of them. For sure. Yeah. Art- artificially trying to create continuity. Yeah. It should go the other way. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the reality of the situation is like we had these characters, like we came up with these characters. We, David Chase, it sounds like, came up with these characters, found these actors who are a good match for the characters mm-hmm. and decided to run it back when they had to do another episode and couldn't really have James Garner and very much of it. <laughs> <laughs> come, yeah yeah you know come come that that era of the series you know i said it at the beginning i'm not a stickler for for continuity this actually fits in well with like a lot of my favorite fiction like i really enjoy a lot of stuff from the pulp era where you have uh they're writing for different magazines no one's thinking when they're writing these short stories that they're all going to be collected and put in chronological order or, yeah. so no one's looking back at their older stories and making sure that they match or the characters are even from the same universe. Like reading, or, yeah. It's like reading um, some of the, I mean, some of the Conan stuff, obviously, but like 
Yeah. Some of the like dying earth stuff where it's like, here's a yeah. character. This, this character has the same name and I guess theoretically is the same person as was two chapters. Cause when I collected in a book or whatever, as I read about two chapters ago, but the context here makes it sound like no one has ever heard of this person when before they were the most <laughs> famous wizard in the land or whatever. And it's like, yeah, cause they were just two different stories written with like, Oh, this is a name that I like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the dying earth one in particular is there's the a character who dies in one story and then it's a, get another story and I'm like oh this must be before the uh, that no he dies in that one too yeah <laughs> and there's no yeah. explanation yeah, there's yeah. no just like um and and like it's also something that not just in the pulpy stuff but like also in um some more uh highbrow fiction and whatnot like authors will circle around a thing mm-hmm. and just take a, a couple different shots at it to see what's the one that they, you know, I'm not done telling a story about these two goofballs mm-hmm. or these two ne'er-do-wells, I should say. They're, yeah. they're not necessarily goofballs. I'm not done telling a, a story about them. So I'm going to try another one and I'm going to try another one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, yeah, that's just a perfectly legit way to go. Like I, I enjoy that kind of thing where I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to take another shot at it. Let's see what it looks like this time. It's a, it's, it's kind of an artifact of our franchised era where everything is assumed to, if not have, need, <laughs> or if to not need, have continuity. Um, and this is the world we've built for ourselves, right? And so I think the two of us can be called skeptics of this approach, Right. generally <laughs> however that doesn't mean that i don't look for it right because i do yeah yeah and so it is interesting and a, a bit a bit of a bobble like it just feels weird right it felt like mm-hmm. a little weird watching these characters and in, in my head trying to fit them into the characters i already knew i kept forgetting that they were the characters we already knew <laughs> i mean like we made it's been about a month since reported yeah. i think mm-hmm. like so that. uh and I just sat down and started watching the episode like any old time. And then partway through, I'm like, oh, right, these two. Like, I didn't even really physically recognize them. Yeah, Eugene more so than Mickey. Mickey was very, because in, yes. in this episode, he's very withdrawn. Like, he just doesn't have a lot to do. Yeah. So Eugene's really the one that I focused on. Mm-hmm. And again, I think I felt the connection most in that scene with Nodzak in the restaurant, where it was like, oh, yeah. all of these little themes and just little character presentations. Those are all the ones that are brought into just a couple of guys. It's like, this is their personality. Like it's all in that scene. It's not in the earlier Mm -hmm. stuff. It's like in that scene with Nodzak that it's like, Oh, that's who these guys are. So yeah, I don't know what I really expected. Um, I mean, I enjoyed this episode. I think it is a, yeah, I would recommend someone watch this episode over the other one because this one's actually a Rockford files episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it also has Coop, which is great. I think we haven't talked about it yeah. really, but like the 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 uh, Bo Hopkins James Garner chemistry is very strong. They definitely yeah. seem like buddies. They seem like guys who are going to go have a bunch of wacky adventures. They they feel almost instantly like old buddies yes. too, which is yeah. which is neat. And it's also refreshing to have give Jim a buddy who isn't uh, a grifter. <laughs> Yeah, a grifter, or thinks Jim's a pain in the ass. Like, there's yeah. just a very Jim's buddy sphere is a, is a little mm. could use a little like just wholesome. <laughs> yeah, he does seem like a wholesome buddy, which is nice. Yeah, 
Um, they both have that kind of like, we're from somewhere else, but we also feel like we are very LA to me. Like, because mm-hmm. Bo Hawkins, he's, yeah. I don't know where he's actually from, but at least this character is like, has a little bit of a like Southern kind of edge. He has a bit of a drawl, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and, and Jim, you know, he has, he is from Oklahoma. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. he is, he is Californian, but he is from Oklahoma. Kind of like he has that edge to him too. So you just see that there's like a lot of resonance there and it's like, yeah, it, you could see Coop just being in episodes, not even for the plot or for just like being over because he's they're having a cookout. Right. Yeah. Or they go to the basketball game or like whatever. Just like a couple bros just being bros. He's from South Carolina. Just look that up. There you yeah, go. That makes sense. <laughs> I think most of the characters he plays are in that vein. Just looking yeah. at his credits. Yeah. yeah. But good, you know, as as one might expect from the core writing crew very tight script yeah very efficient use of you know various devices to get the story moving along we didn't really talk about it but the pacing was really good there's like a it just like you were saying the story just hit where it needed to hit and did its thing and kept going and uh was threatening when it needed to be threatening and uh, gave the characters room to breathe when that happened too i yeah i really really liked it the tone shifts are really good. You can really map them. You can really map like threatening, yeah. comedic, threatening, comedic, like kind of up and down. And I think it would make a real regular kind of wave. Sine wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep you going through the episode. Um, very constructed in like a, a good way in like a, a nice, yeah. you know, healthy way. Um, you know, some of the like dramatic uh, 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 coincidences to mm-hmm. keep things going along are very written but we like things that <laughs> yeah, are written, yeah. so there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. If we talk, if we talk the episode out, I think we might have. <laughs> I think I think we've I think we've 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 uh, run out of things to say about the episode. Um, yeah, interestingly, oh, I don't know if it's that interesting, but uh, just glancing at the episode schedule, mm-hmm. so this is early season five, which I think we've established is probably the most interesting season in terms of like risks and guest stars and like weird stuff that they do. Yeah. Right? So this is in between Rosendahl and Gilda Stern are dead, which is the Abe Vigoda one. Oh, yes. And the debut, I think, of Rita Kapkovic, or maybe the second one with Rita. So it goes that one, then this one, then White on White, Nearly Perfect. Oh, yeah. That's a great three-episode run. I would recommend watching those three episodes in that order. I think that would be fun. I think they're all on the same DVD, too, in the DVD set. Yeah, they're they're two, three, four of the first four episodes yeah 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 because i remember seeing that going whoa yeah oh this is good i'm just scrolling through season five i'm like oh yeah there's a lot of bangers <laughs> good <Yeah>. season. <laughs> oh boy um is this the best season i don't know i'm not willing to say that no i'm not i'm not gonna every time i scroll through a season i'm like huh is this the best season so yeah yeah all right well I think even though this is very much a Jim does not, Jim is in trouble. Jim does not get paid. Right. In fact, Jim might have to pay. <laughs> but, you know, he makes it out the other the other side unscathed, which is what we like to see. Yeah, agreed. And that all said, I suppose it is time for us to figure out what our next thing is going to be. <laughs> our next, <laughs> our next yes. movement for the show. Uh, so we'll go and do that. But be assured that we will be back next time with another episode of The Rockford Files. Wah, 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 wah,